Mark, do you want me to start from the beginning? <laughs> sure. Splicing is so difficult. <clears throat> so pretend you haven't heard this. Okay. Last year, I turned 70. The year before that, I retired from parish ministry earlier than I had expected. Also, I lost my mother at the age of 96. All of this led me into a time of deep reflection and questions and the reading of countless mystery books. <laughs> I thought my UU roots were deep and strong since becoming UU in 1987. In 2002, during my seminary training, I wrote the following. I've come to Bowen School of Religion, a Quaker seminary, to increase my vocabulary, to learn the words of Christian theology, to explore the words of the New Testament, and to refine my own word path to God. This is a journey I believe is accomplished best in community. At ESR, we are a community of similar journeys from different backgrounds, much like many of our home communities. It is likely also to represent the communities where I will work, places where I will have the opportunity to find connections between what we label our differences that can lead us to common ground places where we can work for justice together. End quote. One of the benefits of my time at ESR was that it made me think of theologies other than my own. I was raised Jewish, and Christian words still gave my system a little jolt. But I knew the Jewish God was too narrow for me. Plus, he had a striking resemblance to my childhood rabbi. <laughs> I also knew, much as I had to be conversant in Christianity, the Christian God was also too narrow, kind of like the Jewish God on steroids. <laughs> what I didn't know was how much the exercise of learning a different religion would help me explore other religions. Dios de los Muertos, pagan rituals which honor the earth and the goddess and which were decimated, but not destroyed by the spread of Christianity. The Hindu celebration of Diwali and all its colors learning about Plum Village, home of Thich Nhat Hanh, the Tibetan Book of Dying, even the Mormons, who I encountered in Moscow, Idaho, where I agreed to tour their stake if they would come to my church. And they did. All of these opportunities to explore other ways of looking at our world opens not just my mind, but my heart. What often keeps us from those opportunities is fear. 
stepping through that fear of difference or change. This, to me, is the promise of Unitarian Universalism. It is why I identify as a Unitarian Universalist. Though as an institution, we have a long, long way to go. Before I became estranged from Judaism, Judaism and lesbianism were not particularly compatible in the 1970s. In high school, I was very involved in a national Jewish youth group. I wanted to become a rabbi. Although at that time, there were no ordained women rabbis. So I felt the best I could do was marry a rabbi, preferably my best friend David, who it turns out is as gay as I am. <laughs> Things didn't go exactly as I planned during or after college. I attended a college that had neither a strong religious studies department nor a Jewish community. I'd forgotten all about my call to Jewish service. Instead, I was interested in fostering change through the education system. In 1981, six years and several jobs after my college graduation, I received a master's in education in administration and got a job in the satellite program of the Community College of Philadelphia, housed in a social service program for women run by the Lutheran Social Mission Society. At 30, <clears throat> I went on a six-month vacation to Eugene, Oregon. I let go of my apartment in Philadelphia, took a leave from my job, but ended up staying in Oregon going on 41 years now. <laughs> I just never left. Four years into my sojourn in Oregon, I became involved with a UU woman who was very active in the lay leadership of the movement. During that relationship, I decided I wanted to become a minister, in part because it was conversations with ministers that were most meaningful to me. One of the requirements for seminary is to write your spiritual autobiography, <clears throat> which is when I remembered that Jewish call from so many years ago. I was an enthusiastic UU student and found Quaker Seminary exhilarating. After graduation, I spent a year at Olympia Unitarian Universalist for my internship, a requirement for UU ministry credentialing, and then went into search for a congregation of my own. My experience in Olympia was so satisfying, it was as if overnight my interest in community ministry shifted to the parish. Though I interviewed at several churches, for two years I was not offered a job. There were more jobs than ministers, unlike today. And so I did interim ministries in Moscow, Idaho, and Hillsboro, Oregon. And then the unforeseen happened. My wife was diagnosed with Lewy body dementia, a fast-moving disease related to Parkinson's. I can't imagine 
what it would have been like if I had been offered a job. She was my rock, my connection to you, you, my partner in ministry. She passed away on our 24th anniversary. <clears throat> During the years of her illness, I did what I call preaching around. I created a seven-part series about topics for small UU congregations who had no minister. I delivered that series to a number of small congregations. A few years after she passed, the pulpit at East Rose, a small church in East Portland, which I was affiliated with, opened, and I went for it. I was 60 when I got the job. Life as a half-time minister at that congregation was not very easy, especially when my predecessor was a workaholic and still a member of the congregation. Oh. Being constantly compared to him took some of the shine off my enthusiasm. As much as I loved being their minister, after five years I was ready to plan a sabbatical. Instead, I got the COVID epidemic and two bouts of breast cancer. Oh, God. Turns out the cancer, cancer was the easier one to survive. Three years of COVID was an administrative nightmare, especially as we were never fully staffed. By the time I retired, I was exhausted and my mother was failing in Philadelphia. Her death, though not unexpected, hit me hard. So did the family dynamics. I've always thought I was relational. Yet my biggest regrets from my professional ministry are the broken relationships. I regret not being able to have closure with folks at East Rose. I regret that there are people there who felt mistreated by me. But I also regret putting the needs of the congregation above my own needs. Once that happened, I lost the ability to be relational. I was so exhausted, I didn't even recognize it. So how could I have the presence of mind to do anything about it? It's not that I didn't know this, but as I have come to believe, my passion for ministry overwhelmed my awareness for the need for self-care. Which brings me to 2024, beginning a new year, and wondering, what's next? Where am I going? I still have that passion for justice, but it's been years since I was actually involved in the movement. How to work for it at 70, and through what lens? Unitarian Universalist, Jewish, interfaith, political, nonprofit. This is where the title of the sermon comes from. Return again. Return to the land of your soul. Return to who you are. Return to what you are. Return to where you are. Born and reborn again. There is something calling to me from my past and my future at the same time. 
The only times I haven't worked since I was 13 years old was the first few months of my extended sojourn in Oregon and when I went to seminary. So this being retired is a new experience now that the fatigue is slowly shrinking, I can feel a restlessness growing in me. And I believe it is urging me to move forward by returning to my values, my core beliefs, my worldview. But it's complicated. It's not easy being a person of faith when so much violence destruction of our earth and political polarization seem to be the major players in world events. But much as I desire my retirement to consist of mystery books and good food, it doesn't seem a real option. I think of the generation of our children and their children and the world we are passing to them and know that I must stay engaged somehow. So rather than look to my virtual bookshelf, I realize I have to go through my toolbox and see what's still useful. The first thing I see is my faith, not my religion, because that is too restrictive, whichever one I choose. My faith is where I go inside myself to calm my despair. It is where I believe that universal energy resides that is within us and beyond us and that connects us with all other beings, good and bad, dead and alive, animate and inanimate. Beyond calming despair, it also contains hope a place deep inside me and easy to hide from, but where I am called now to find the tendrils that will connect me to the larger hope that exists in the world beyond me and where I can join my own limited energy to a larger energy that can make a difference. I have to believe this, regardless of what's going on around me. It's where I have landed after 70 years of considering what God languages in many forms are all about. I believe we all have this same place within us. No matter what theology or not theology we espouse. Atheists have this place. Agnostics, humanists, all religions, None of these labels really matter. It is our humanity that brings us together and our words that draw us apart. The second thing is my belief that relationships, sharing our personal stories with one another, is the cornerstone of our humanity. If we truly believe that every conversation is sacred, regardless of who it's with, think of how that one adjustment could impact each of you and this congregation. Unitarian Universalism is in flux, as it should be, considering our commitment 
to always be searching for deeper truths. Disagreement should be welcome, and resolving them a challenge we embrace. Instead, we are creating camps based on differences. I find this very sad and disappointing. One of the things I've noticed over the years is the importance of children and children's stories. There's a reason children are my best teachers. They have yet to develop cultural norms of who and what is good or bad. Having to explain that to them can be really hard because it forces us to get beyond our own judgments, to not inadvertently pass our stories to them. What I love about the children's book I shared with you is that although the author is a rabbi and the God Abrahamic, the theme of the book, the story she tells, is universal. Perhaps you remember Ballot Measure 9 at the peak of the Oregon Citizens Alliance trying to make homosexuality illegal. The UUs were very active in Oregon, working against it. We have members of the UU Washington, D.C. office here, one of whom said what she really wanted to do was sit in Pioneer Courthouse Square with a sign that read, No on Ballot Measure 9, Willing to Listen. She never got to do it, but I still think it was a great idea with a powerful message. Third in my toolbox. COVID was many things to many people. For me, it was exhaustion and a constant feeling of overwhelm. Exhaustion goes hand in hand with giving our energy to those things, those projects and people who mean so much to us. To keep going, we need to take care of ourselves, which is hard to do when there are so many things expected of us by the ins and outs of ordinary life in such a complex and complicated world. I learned this in a deep way over the course of my life in ministry, and I'm learning to recognize the signs of mental and physical fatigue, and to add more play and rest into my days. And fourth, there are synchronicities appearing in my life like returning to the spiritual direction practice I started after seminary, and the opportunity to do interfaith work, and preaching around once again. Slowly but slowly, little glimpses of what's possible, of what actually brings me energy are beginning to appear. The messages are often so soft, I have to stop and just pay attention. A colleague thanking me for my wisdom. A conversation with my friend knitting together Lent and Yom Kippur into a retreat. The excitement of new spiritual directees. Even requests to preach. 
The truth for me is to be still enough, quiet enough to listen. One of the gifts of retirement is the stillness. There are still headaches and crises everywhere. Right now they are with my house. But as stressful and aggravating as they are, there are still breaks, moments of quiet and solitude that get overshadowed. When we're moving so fast, we go right past them. Why am I telling you this? There are several times in my journey when I've asked myself, what if? I'm sure you noticed some. What if I'd gone to a different college? What if I'd stayed in the field of education, especially when I earned my master's degree? What if I hadn't met Janice? What if she hadn't died? What if I'd done my internship in community ministry? And the list goes on and on. If you look at my life as following a career path, it's difficult to find one. But if you look at my life as following my heart, my belief in empowerment through sharing stories, the path is clearer. And my toolbox feels full, though there's always room for more. But in the end, my life, my journey is sacred, as are each of yours. Choices we make while following our passions and values may be more trusted guidance from spirit than actual choice. Roads not taken while in the past contribute to where we are today and are part of our spiritual psychological growth. Every twist and turn in our life journey has meaning if we recognize that all of it has made us who and what we are today. Amen. Blessed be, may it be so today and every day.